We're going live, guys. <laughs> Good. I value <laughs> coffee. <laughs> We're going to be talking about our value system this morning, and the top of the list would be coffee. I think. Yeah, come on. Well, folks, uh, it wouldn't be a content content episode if everything didn't go wrong right away. Um, <laughs> and Mike shot Gomez uh, covered in coffee at the moment. Sticky feet. Uh, <laughs> Tried to clean is... it. That's a napkin. <laughs> you can't even see what that is. Yeah, Did roll. Best. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Oh, nice. The reveal. Um, so welcome. Happy Sunday morning to another episode of Content Content. My name is Derek. As always, across from me is Shot Gomez. And back with us again today, there's a doctor in the house, folks. We got Dr. Ivan. Th- uh, thank you for coming back on, Ivan. Um, this is going to be an interesting one. Um, I have a bunch of things I'd like to get into, but... Uh, Ivan came with a with a, a, a interesting premise um, for this week's episode, wherein, um, yeah. Well, I, Ivan, I'll let, let me kick it to you, man. Can you uh, can you break down a little bit what we want to try and talk about and how that kind of specifically uh, <laughs> that uh, is uh, in your line of work, let's say. Your yeah. experience with that. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on again, guys. This is fun. This is fun. Um, last week, Mike and I were speaking about the value system, specifically with regards to healthcare. And so many things came to mind. Um, oftentimes, um, when the modality or intervention or the treatment is brighter and shinier, the value system is higher. And we live in this society, at least with regards to healthcare, where there's this ever elusive quest to find this shiny, bright, expensive cure-all or panacea, right? What is that? Is it you know, where's that black pill or the blue pill? It's almost like, um, you remember that movie, uh, Limitless, where the yes. you know, guy took the pill and he could, you know, exponentially increase his brain capacity and everything. Well, in a lot of ways, our society is like that. And I just thought that it was interesting because, you know, when you're being rational and when you're being objective, we have to look at evidence, right? That's what evidence-based practice is. We have to look at what does the science show? What does the best available research via not only randomized controlled trials, but through meta-analyses, uh, systematic reviews, um, and growing literature in that regard, in that high-level regard, What does it say about managing a particular condition? And what um, Mike and I was talking about, and I thought it was very interesting, is that overwhelmingly exercise uh, has shown robust data in terms of its ability to help with 
psychiatric conditions, diabetes, osteoporosis, sarcopenia, dinopenia, uh, high blood pressure. Like, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. However, exercise is free. We could exercise right now. <laughs> but it doesn't cost anything. I need to be able to... <laughs> I need to be able to spend 600 bucks and feel better about it. And, and so anyway, that was a conversation that we were having. Like, why is this, why is CBD this, you know, this cure-all? Why is, you know, why are these things so highly touted? And it goes back to psychology and what, what creates the value system. So anyway, it was that conversation that precipitated it. But if you guys want to piggyback on that and tell me what you guys think about that. I think that'll be interesting. What do, you, do you want to jump in there, Mike? Well, um, I I think so because it looks like you're moving around a bit there. You're trying to find a spot. You're trying to exercise. <laughs> He's exercising. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll tell you. Did you know as soon as I've mentioned I'm like, I got to start walking around. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's because they, you know, they're, they're like, go, you get out of here. You can't be doing the podcast over. So, so yeah, I mean, so we we were talking, and um, then I, I got to thinking, and um, then I reached out to to Derek to see, you know, see what he thought about the topic. And I think it's a very, very interesting topic. I mean, obviously, Ivan's coming from a a, you know, a physician perspective, dealing with patients and and seeing um, how they come in, and they're sort of looking for this this pill to to fix everything. And then that made me think even more, you know, you know how, how my mind works, Derek uh, and Ivan. Uh, so I so I got it heavy into like um, values overall, you know, and uh, what we value and how that determines almost all of our decisions. You know, um, if if you value something, it, it's going to make make that a priority. You know, I put up a little meme today. And so our values, to me, define our priorities. And then when you think about it even further, you, you think about the system that we're in and, you know, cash is king, right? So if something's expensive, and this is even a marketing thing, you know, like uh, sometimes they'll even tell you to raise the price of your product because it's going to make people want it more. It's going to make it more valuable. And people, you know, when, especially when people don't know about something, I think that they look and they say, well, all right, there's three different types of this thing, sneakers, whatever. One's 50, one's 100, and one's 200. Well, I'm really serious about this, and I, and I want to get the best. So I'm going to get the $200 one because that must be the best one. And that kind of goes back to that conversation, you know. So exercise is free. So it's maybe not valued so much because you can just go for a walk. You can just do anything. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the, the episode, hopefully, is sort of why I thought it was such a good idea is it's my desire to sort of try to deconstruct that for, for ourselves. You know, that being the positive thing we can kind of get to in the episode, hopefully, where we can kind of take it apart and get back to, um, you know, take take the money out of it, take everything out of it, and then we can kind of reprogram ourselves um and how we look at values um priorities 
and stuff like that. That's sort of hopefully the direction, you know, that we could kind of flow into. So Derek, now that you're situated, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the the value um, system. This is something I think about all the time. And of course we live in like a materially obsessed uh, culture. And there are a lot of reasons for that. A lot of reasons where like we're specifically made to feel that way. And, you know, having material things in and of itself is not necessarily bad. Like, you know, we need places to live and clothes and food and stuff. Um, But there are specific instances where um, creating this, like, hierarchy of material things based exclusively on how much they cost can be uh, incredibly corrosive. One of the main ones would be with someone's health. Because... um, I'm sure, as I've knows, like <laughs> people take their health pretty seriously, <laughs> and so um, when uh, so of, it, it, when you consider that, well, if you pay more, then you're getting a better thing, and that that must universally be true. It's very predatory to bring that into people's like health care um, because you know may, maybe it's not always the it doesn't always necessarily work that way. Like you're saying, exercise is free, but it's really good for you. Um, people feel like, oh gosh, I have to spend money in order to cure X, Y, and Z. Um, and when you're manipulating people's health like that, I mean, it, it's really like a dangerous thing to do, I think. You know, I, I, this is a, again, this is a great forum. So thank you both for allowing me, or us rather, to talk about this, because this is something that I think about all the time. Like, how can we change the value? Like, you know, one thing that I mentioned recently is like, if exercise prescription could be uh, elevated to the price of Yeezys, the adherence of the exercise prescription would be much, much higher. Right? You know, people don't think <laughs> twice about <laughs> spending like two or I don't know how much they how much are they like three hundred dollars? They wouldn't think twice about. But you know, they you know, it's a big to do when the sneakers drop and people start buying them and you know they're, they're, the supply is low and so they start putting them in a stock x whatever that website is and the value goes up 200 percent you know so it's interesting a, a lot of a lot of that value system is based on supply and demand but i think that there are other features that influence um the value system. I wanted to. Sh- I, I wanted to share a story with you both, and I wanted you to get your feedback on it. But it's a. It's a. It's called the Locksmith Paradox. You guys are familiar with it. The lock. The Locksmith Paradox. I, so it's basically there's a guy, right? So imagine I, I'm the locksmith, Mike or Derek. I go to your house, right? I'm a green locksmith. I'm new. I just been. I've just been you know, working as a locksmith for the past three months. So I'm fairly new in my career. And I go to your house and there's this lock that I need to fix. And because I'm fairly new, it takes me a while. You know, it's very laborsome. It takes me a good hour to complete the job. Um, And you witness me working really, really hard. I'm almost, you know, I'm sweating, but ultimately I get the job done. Um, and when it comes to paying me, you know, that two hundred dollars, 
um, to get the job done, you think nothing of it. You don't think twice about it. You gladly pay me and you say thank you. But it's interesting because when that same locksmith becomes more efficient uh, and um, becomes more experienced uh, with his with his work, that same job that took an hour now takes 20 minutes. But when you do the job, that same very job that took an hour, uh, you know, maybe a couple of years earlier, now 20 minutes, when you're asking for the $200, they're not, they're giving you some level of resistance. And the, the point of the fable of this, you know, the, the point of this paradox is that value is based on a lot of things. And one of the value, one of our values is driven by what we see as being difficult. The more difficult something is to accomplish, the higher the value that we're going to place on it. Um, and the lower, you know, if something was very easy, appeared easy, then we're not going to place value on it. So I think, you know, there's a lot of examples of, of what we could describe as what drives the value system. But I think what we see is certainly one of them, the way things are priced, you know, the whole thing with the Yeezy and exercise prescription is another one. But anyway, I thought that was food for thought. I thought that was interesting because oftentimes that's what we do. We, we apply value based on the effort that we see, despite that the job is being done in both case scenarios. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Um, yeah, because it's like if well, if the guy it, if it only took twenty minutes. I mean, the guy couldn't have worked that hard. You know what I mean? <laughs> but also, yes, he did. He's just really good at it. So, and yeah, that that eye test kind of thing and the measuring of effort certainly is. Um, that's definitely a p part of that kind of value system. And that that maybe it's a little misguided, but it's it's not necessarily. Um, like predatory in the way that like pricing kind of things are like I would use uh, I think sneakers is a good example I would even use like headphones or, or like um, yeah like wireless headphones or whatever in the past whatever 20 years they have become like luxury items kind of like uh, all of a sudden you could buy like Beats by Dre and they cost $150 but any real like headphones before that weren't nearly that expensive but they almost like arbitrarily so made them a very like luxury kind of item and sneakers obviously have gone crazy where uh, it's all these new ones and you want to collect old ones and uh, like you said there's <laughs> websites that create a veritable like stock market for sneakers uh in the end they're just things you put on your feet but uh again that luxury this like big shiny object kind of thing um some, what, something i wanted to to throw into the mix here too is when Mike had brought this up to me was um, I was just reading about like a, an economist in the 20th century named Thornton Veblen um, mm. who worked at the University of Chicago and he was as far as I know like one of the first economists to realize that well the way that this American game is unfolding and so, so he wrote this say like 1910 for the depression and whatnot that the, his quote is any retrogression from a standard of living has now become a violation of human dignity. So like the example he uses is like, if you always eat on like a very nice plate 
a crystal china plate, and that's what you're used to. And every night you eat off that. And then one night you have to eat off a paper plate. Not only um, do you consider the paper plate to be like cheaper and, and more worthless, but it's like an affront to your dignity. <laughs> like, how can you believe this? That I have to. When in the end, they're both plates. Just, just eat the food. When we see it as a violation of I'm this is beneath me, and that creates suffering. I think, man. Uh, what is it? What's he saying? A luxury experience once becomes a necessity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that that's that's that happens, it, man. <laughs> that's the that's the short version there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, definitely, definitely agree with that. I think. Um, I know it's it's a it's a weird thing because you can see like how much this is psychological, how much um, it is sort of how we're raised up, you know, and how how as we grow, how we value things, and um, I don't know. It's a little bit like it's sort of confusing too to me, you know, like because um, a lot of it is just instilled in us. You know, like without thinking, you know, like, you know, like, like he said, the sneakers before maybe didn't have such a value. They didn't. Now they're like a whole, like he said, a whole big thing, you know, sneakers and value and this and then having the rarest one. And that has to be sort of culture, you know, and that that is definitely. Um, I mean, I think hip hop is like the I did mention this when when I was talking, I think with both of you. Uh, earlier this week, you know, is the epitome of a rotten value system, you know, and I want to get back to that. But I know, Ivan, you had something to say. No, I, you know, I think, you know, once um, I started watching your show, I started reading even more about fallacies that exist unknowingly that we all deal with, right? Like, you know, last week we spoke about the false dichotomy. Um, that's a fallacy or, you know, the red herring fallacy or the straw man fallacy. One fallacy that comes to mind this week is appeal to authority. And that's a very interesting fallacy where when we see a celebrity or this high statured individual purporting something like Dr. Oz saying, if you take this thing, it's going to work, even though there's no evidence, right? You take this pill, man, it's going to cure you from all your eczema, whatever it is. So we have to be careful with that as well. Appeal to authority happens all the time. And I'm speaking from the healthcare arena. Um, as healthcare providers, we are seeing by our communities as healthcare authorities. No different than this appeal to authority fallacy that sometimes people take advantage of. They use their stature to sell something, even though it's snake oil, right? Um, so that, that's one thing that can influence the value system. And, and I think- Can you speak up a little bit? I don't want to interrupt you too much, but I, there's some meat in there. like. Because me and you were talking about that. Yeah. At some point, can you get into how also the the system itself feeds off of this 
this narrative, this fallacy. Well, it's that's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like, becomes dependent on it. It's almost like it, it is cognitive dissonance at its worst because here here we have insurance companies recognizing that there's an opioid epidemic, yet we, you know, we have co-pays for you know rehabilitation that's a hundred dollars. But our co-pays for a 30-day supply of opioids, you know, oxycodone, is $10. So, you know, it's very interesting how what we create, our policy and procedures will kind of influence what we deem as um, important. And it's kind of contrary to what we said, right? Because if rehabilitation costs more, there should be more value. But... The pharmaceutical industry does a good job through marketing and through appeal to authority and even through um, healthcare authorities um, kind of creating this pervasive message that a pill can really help. And we live in this society of immediate gratification and healthcare is no different. Um, so it, it, it's very multi-layered, I think, the problem that exists and why we um, as a society, don't realize or don't appreciate as much the things that are readily available that's cheap. I, I, you know, there was a study that I think is very interesting because the value system um, is also influenced by expectation. And, and this goes hand in hand with appeal to it goes hand in hand with authority. Uh, you know, this appeal to authority fallacy. But there was a study, for example, where um, they looked at, you know what a, a placebo is, right? A placebo is inert medicine, like a sugar pill. But if there's an expectation, then it's going to oftentimes materialize into a positive outcome. So there was a study, and they looked at the, uh, the benefit of a placebo relative to a control, and they gave them a white pill. And the white pill, you know, uh, did in fact have an appreciable difference compared to baseline when they gave the pill. But then they compared the white pill to a colorful pill. And they found that the colorful pill had a better impact than the white pill. Then they compared <laughs> several colorful pills and compared that to the singular colorful pill. And guess what did better? The multiple colorful pills did better than the singular colorful pill. Then they went even beyond that and they gave an injection. Again, this is all inert oh, wow. medicine. It's inert medicine. It is saline. It's water. And they injected the saline and they compared the placebo effect to that of the multiple colorful pills. And guess what got better? Guess which group had more improvement? The, the injection. So the point of the study is that when it comes to value, at least with healthcare, the more invasive um, and the more complex and the more expensive it is, the higher the patient's expectation to have a physiological response. And as a result, they have a better response. So I thought that's interesting. So there's a yeah. lot of different things. And we talk about this all the time. We talk about contextual factors because as healthcare authorities, we create these contextual factors. Like for example, if I say, Mike, if you put those earphones on, it is going to help you calm down for the rest of the day. 
look at you know and i give you bs data to show i feel calmer already <laughs> <laughs> so a, a lot of our value system is based on expectations and when those expectations are echoed by healthcare authorities then it it makes the effects even more robust and it kind of uh, reinforces our value system as to what we want. Yeah, you know, you know what's fascinating, um, and I'm glad this this is where I wanted to go. Uh, I just wanted it to naturally go here. It in in the in the grand scheme of everything, it comes down to us. That's my belief. Um, you know, the mind is incredibly powerful. Um, what we can do is incredibly powerful, and everything you just explained is basically manipulating the mind to believe something, utilizing the system that's in place. And I think that that is, that is the, the truth bomb in all this, in my opinion. And I think that that is why in the beginning I was thinking, you know, in terms of sort of trying to rethink this whole value system, you know, think about it in, in different ways. And that's, and that's what I hope, you know, we can have people think about, you know, and we're not getting too many comments. Any comments that we got a couple people watching, um, please throw them in because uh, that helps us. Tremendously. I'm going to do a watch party. Yeah, throw that up there. I'm going to try to do that. Hold on. Um, Facebook, right? Yeah. So, so, so one of the things for me in this whole thing is that it, it also reminds me, you know, I, I always go back to, you know, when, it, when, when there's a system, when there's authority, and there's people telling you things that you're supposed to believe and then you believe them. You know, it always brings me back to my cult days. And and I think that one of the wonderful things, because, you know, I brought my mom um, to see Ivan and he, he's working with her on some physical therapy stuff. And one of the wonderful things is that while he's working with her, he's sort of giving her this new kind of programming, you know. And I think that is that part of the, the, the therapy is just as important as the physical aspect. You know, she's walking, she's doing things, but at the same time, Ivan is sort of refreshing her with this better mental um, picture of of what it takes to be healthy. And I think that it puts, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say there's two reasons in my little view right now of this, as I thought about it this week, uh, I think, a, you know, it's it's the monetary thing, but it's also a lazy thing. Just to be quite honest, you know, with me even, you know, why don't I exercise? You know, it's 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 not. I think there's also a lazy factor because I think it's the same thing with spiritual things. Why people don't dig in? It it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. Like I like doing it. You know, Ivan, you like to exercise. You actually like it. You enjoy it. So you're naturally gonna go to that. You know. Yeah. So, some of us are naturally going to do things, and I think that by like unprogramming ourselves from from the way things are framed right now, it will help someone like me to exercise more, and maybe help someone uh, if I could look at it in a different way. It might even help someone who doesn't think about the type of things we're thinking about, you know, in you know, in the, in the spiritual and in, in in the intellectual capacity to want to do it more, you know. And that's kind of you know I know I do it went a little bit all over the place. It's very interesting. I, I think you hit you hit the nail on the head. I think it comes down right down a value. Like 
the reason why it's not that I'm a zealot, you know, for baseless reasons. The reason why exercise to me is important is because I recognize that we have this one vessel. You know, we we don't get a second body or a third body. This is it. Um, and I recognize that the effect that we have on this singular vessel that we're given in our lifetime is going to be influenced by the things that are readily available and that aren't so expensive, right? You know, when you think about the most important thing, like if you want to, if you want to identify what the true value is when it comes to making um, a dent on our health, it's sleep, right? Mm. It doesn't cost much to sleep, right? We, we don't have to spend $300 to sleep. We just probably need some good curtains and some, a quiet room. Exercise, that is cheap. Sun, we don't need money for sun. We just walk out. Um, stress management, right? Those are probably the most important things. And there is the data is so robust when you if you if you were to spend just 10 minutes, you know, perusing the literature in terms of how those things influence your health, anyone, even the layperson, would be astounded. But I, I the the reason why and this is this is why I'm so adamant about talking about these things on my social media platform is because these things are cheap. They're readily available. Or let me not say cheap, but inexpensive. And so there's low value placed on them. And I'm saying, hey, guys, that's not true. It's kind of like saying, hey, guys, it, 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 my day-to-day -day is like, I'm around people that think that the earth is flat. And I'm saying, hey, guys, no. Look, look, look at the literature. Look, look, we have satellites now. We have astronauts now. They take pictures. Look, look, I'm, look, look, look what the evidence shows. This is with that level of passion and fervor that I'm telling people, hey, look, this is what exercise does. This is what a solid eight hours of sleep does. You don't have to spend the $300 on sneakers or get the latest gadget, you know, Apple Watch or whatever. You can do these very simple things. So trying to deconstruct narratives that associate money with value is so difficult. So yeah, difficult. I'm glad you, you said that because the whole time while you're, while you're talking about that stuff, I keep thinking about the sneakers, the, the more expensive one, the, you know, the, that's ingrained in our psyche. And I think that's, that's the major problem because if it's free, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't have value and it's not, it's not. I'm not saying that as a fact. I'm saying that as something we've been because we're constantly being marketed to. Um, we're constantly our timelines are designed. You know, we're all on social media four hours a day, three hours a day, five hours a day, six hours a day. Our timelines are designed to sell us things. OK, they the, AI has supercomputers with programs that the people who made them don't even understand why they work so good at this point because they've learned for themselves happening right now going into your 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 brain every day to sell you stuff so now when i go see ivan i've been conditioned for him to sell me something so it's 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 so ingrained and that that's what i mean it's like you know it to to kind of like police this value system we do have to work hard 
there's there's some you know just like the the mind needs hard work to be free of the basic you know the everything that's coming at us and to think the way we're thinking which is the opposite of of what we're being influenced to and then when someone walks into ivan's office this is what you're dealing with because you're a professional you know the field you know what works you know what doesn't work you've thrown away all the myths and you're you're dead serious about this so now you've got people who are constantly being most of the stuff look what you said flat earth you had to compare it to flat earth which which is interesting because that is a rabbit hole and i just watched this in that documentary i tagged you guys on on netflix you know that's a rabbit hole that they refer to and that is what they want you to do as as a social media consumer they want you to go down the rabbit hole on youtube because that's going to keep you there for hours so that they can interrupt you and and put an ad because people are bidding for those ads so those rabbit holes are designed to take over and to make you think. So when someone comes and you're like, what is this guy thinking? You know, why does he think that way? Well, his timeline doesn't look like yours, Ivan. <laughs> it doesn't look like Derek's and it doesn't look like mine because he went down that rabbit hole or she. And and that's what we have. We're up against, you know, as a society. You know, it's it's a big deal, you know, because it, it applies to everything. It's going to apply to relationships, friendships, uh. But Everything. Usually in that rabbit hole, what you find once you kind of delve in deep enough is just rabbit shit. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There aren't any girls. There aren't any kind of fears. It's just rabbit shit. Oh, we yeah. got a comment. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, to add on what Ivan said, agree with simple steps that are part of the reconditioning sleep water primary food spirituality joy and gratefulness and that's isn't that fascinating you know that's huge it's fascinating because if you think about it we you know we we're you know we're progressing in quotes right all the time but we as and i think uh i don't know where i heard this but we haven't evolved it might have been that documentary too we haven't changed, you know, like in a, you know, as fast as technology. Past three hundred thousand years, yeah. So technology is going bananas exactly. exponentially, and it's beating the crap out of us mentally. And we, and and it's no wonder people show up in your office like, uh, fixated okay. on a, on a cure all, right? And and but look, all these things, these things, this is everything. Sleep, water, primary food, spirituality, joy, gratefulness. So joy, gratefulness, mental health. She's spot on. That's an excellent quote. So, so but that but that is so basic. And I think that is that also there. But that's what I was about to say. But that makes people think it's it's not important. It's not you know, it's just like the spiritual things, the most basic spiritual things, being grateful. Exactly. You you can go, you can learn, you can have know all about theology. If you're grateful, you love yourself, you know, those two things, it's, it's just like, I feel like when me and Derek talk, it's like when you talk about, you know, go exercise, run, you know, do those basic things. If you're just grateful and you love yourself, you're on a spiritual path to good things. It, I can't help but to think about Yuval Noah Harari. He wrote a book called Sapien. It was a great book. It talks about you know the evolution of mankind, and his sequel it's called Homo Deus, and he talks about like where we're we going, where we're heading, and one of 
the narrative um, in this book is that do we really have free will in the direction are we go in the direction that we're going, or is artificial intelligence influencing our decision making on subconscious levels? So is it free will or is it this thing called dataism, where these computers, self-thinking computers, are able to use algorithmic patterns to identify what we like to influence our consumerism? So is it truly free will or is it that computers are influencing what we think? And so when you think about it like that, I'm the little guy. Yes. That is what I'm up against in terms of deconstructing on a daily basis someone's feed in terms of what they're and, seeing and what. And then when you have this appeal to authority and the pricing. Yeah. So what are your odds right now? It is like, what, what are your odds? What are your odds right now? No, this is this, this is <laughs> not why great. I think you picked up on it. You said like, why are you always like debunking things, Ivan? And like. And it's because of this. This is the reason I'm adamant about debunking bullshit. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but would you mind sh sharing a little bit about your 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 personal story? You, if you if you don't want to, it's fine. Why oh, why yeah. you're so passionate about it? I I mean, listen, it. I just want to say, if you don't want to share, it, it's fine. But I would like to say that it helped me to understand why you do it, and and it and it made it so much more powerful to me. But I don't want to push you. I respect your privacy. Eric, did you want to jump in, or do you want? It's up to you. Um, well, now I'm fascinated by that question. But uh, but let me just let me just say quickly that um, I am so fascinated also by those placebo tests. Um, and to me, that proves the power of mind. That oh man, if we could really harness the power of between our ears, um, we wouldn't need so many, like you said, supposed like cure alls and stuff. And I guess my question, and we can get into this in a little bit, but like. It's where does that value system come from then, this value system that we are living in? Because is it something that is inherent to humans or is it exclusively like an exploitative kind of thing that, well, because the, because sleep and getting sunshine is free, well, I can't come out of it. I can't uh, monetize that. So I need exactly. to tell you those things aren't good. And I need to tell you that to take vitamin D pills and to, to take all these prescriptions and stuff like that. That's so, what I was about to say. And the, 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 I'm sorry. The less you have of all those things, sleep, the more they can control you. The less sleep you have. Yeah, exactly. Because nobody sleeps enough because we're constantly waking up because we got to go to work. Nobody gets outside enough because we're constantly stuck inside in the office. Um, nobody gets enough water, things like that. Um, so I guess then, yeah, it's, I, I would agree, uh, as I think we would, that, well, it's, it's kind of an exploitative, authoritative kind of thing that at this point is so, so, it, uh, it's such a well-oiled machine and, it, and it's making everyone hurt so much. I, but what is that thing that it's, ta like, why do we buy into it? I think, I think you said it. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said monetize. You can't, yeah. you cannot, how do you monetize sleep? How do you monetize, you know, how do you monetize walking? How do you, you know, how do you monetize going into the, in, in nature, like where you are? Yeah, right but now? can we just reflect for one second <laughs> on how sad that is? <laughs> that, that, because we understand we're, we're in this heavily, social media is driven to monetize. 
systems, corporations, the healthcare system is driven to monetize. And and you being, you know, intelligent person, Ivan, and, and Derek, <laughs> you jumped in to say, we've got to, how do we monetize sleep? Because you realize this is the system we're in. And if you could monetize sleep, people would sleep. Oh, that's true. And, and, and that to me is fascinating because you, you, you jumped inside the box and then you said, well, within this framework in this box that we've been put in, how do we get people to sleep? Well, we got to monetize it. And it's just fascinating to me that. Well, Apple has you know, tried to and Fitbit. They have tried to monetize. By, by tracking, right? Yeah, tracking. And giving you a reward. Basic circadian rhythms. Now, now, okay. Now, now let's talk about that. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about that because I feel like a pet. When you said that, <laughs> I felt like a pet. You know, like I'm going to reward you for sleeping. I'm going to reward you because and, and the thing is, they've they've tapped into our primal nature, our unevolvedness. And they've taken complete control of us in a sense. I mean, not complete because but it's hard work. This is what I'm saying to everybody watching this show. If you think that the stuff we me, me and Derek and Ivan talk about, it's not important, I would strongly disagree and i would say it's probably the most important conversations that we should be having at this time in history in this moment in human history because we need to consciously understand what is happening the information is out there the seeds are out there there are documentaries there are people talking about this and we need to consciously separate ourselves from them constantly plugging into us I, one thing you know a term that i use a lot and I, I, I think that if you were to look at every show that you've done thus far, what is the common theme? What is the common denominator? And I can't help myself to think that that common denominator um, is self-awareness. We need to be self-aware in order to make meaningful, intentional change. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Like, you know, and I pause you. I hate. I know. I interrupt a lot. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's for good reason. Go ahead. Jump go ahead. right back in. Because the the shit. I forgot. Uh, <laughs> I forgot. It was good. It was good. I was I was excusing myself so much that I forgot what I was going to say. Go ahead. Keep going. Anyway, so I think the common denominator is really self awareness. We have to understand what is the root of our decision making? Like, think about it. And I don't, this is not a tangent. It kind of falls right in line. But um, last week we were talking about dogma and how, or the week prior, I'm sorry, we were talking about dogma and how we have these belief systems that sometimes we don't check. And I'm like, hey, if we have this prefrontal cortex that has made us so different, vastly different than the rest of the animal kingdom, why not use it? Why settle on simply believing and not fact-checking, if you will, verifying? And, but I think that that same concept has to, you know, transcend itself to today's topic. Because when, when people are given information, even from these healthcare authorities or any authority, it is that same premise applies. We have to do our due diligence. We have to ask questions uh, because if mm -hmm. not, then we're going to succumb to this fallacious appeal to authority. 
uh, or or this appeal to a commercial that a pharmaceutical company exactly. has millions of dollars on a campaign. And, and here's kind of what I wanted to jump into. It's like we're in a spider web. We're caught. We're in it. And we need to get out of it. So how can we be, I guess I'll just throw this out there. How can we be self-aware if who we are is constantly coming from other sources? Okay, so you're, you're on social media. When they like something, oh, that's who he is. He, that's good. Be that guy. Because it happens to me. You know, if I post something about music, I like it. I like it. Yeah, that's who you are. You're DJ Shock. If I post something about something else, it's like, eh, you know, that's not who you are, man. But I know who I am, you know, and I'm moving forward in who I am. They don't know who I am. I do. Because I'm self-aware. But most of the time, especially young people who grew up on social media, they're going to have the hardest time to dig in. This generation is going to have a really tough time to dig into who they are and dig deep in because they've, from the, from the outset, been told who they are by their friends, by posts. By, you know, we're already, as parents, we're already screwing our kids up by telling them who we think they are, which is bad enough. But now they got the whole world telling them who they are. Now, how are they going to figure out who they are? So I just a big thing. But, you know, I just threw that out there. You know, I one of the things that I tell students that do their internships in my office, you know, the the parting words are always remain scholastically pliable. If you remain scholastically academically pliable, you will always ask questions. You will always challenge things, even with concepts that contradict your current beliefs. And when you're constantly challenging things um, and questioning your own belief system, that is what is the, I think, the driving force to becoming self-aware. And it's through self-awareness that we have the ability, the ability to self-evolve as an individual. But it's the plasticity. It's the always challenging. Okay, I hear this, but let me challenge this. What, is there any yeah. research to refute this? What is the null hypothesis? No. The null hypothesis um, have any um, substance to it? There's not enough voices saying that. That's all I want to add to that. There's not enough voices out there that are saying uh, to be self-aware in that way, that are saying to, um, to dig in that way. You know, And Derek, I know you've got a lot to say. Jump um, in. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things because we constantly have to work all the time and we're constantly, you know, underslept, overworked, tired, stressed. Um, I might've mentioned this on the, before on the show, but something I think about a lot is uh, in one of Dave Chappelle's newer specials, um, in, in the, the first one that he came back, he had some bits about trans people. And then he got a lot of hate online for that. And then in, the, in his next special, he sort of addressed that. And he said... Um, with regard to the criticism that he received. What I did was I, I did something that most people don't have the time or the means to do. I thought about how I felt. And wow, you know, that's he's, big. he's like a wealthy dude, so he like actually has time to consider, hmm, how did that make me feel? How did those people feel? And maybe I was wrong about that. Maybe they were wrong about some things. And 
that's, I think a lot of, I mean, man, once you, the thing is, once you get in the hamster wheel, there's no time to let it stop. That's Um, so huge. And so when you compound, it's one thing to not get enough sleep one night, but when it's 40 years of never getting enough, I mean, what is your, what would your mental state, what would you expect your mental state to be? You'd be a disaster. And yeah. that's everybody, man. You just you just be trying to to continue. I, you, you, are you talking about like perseverating about things to the point where it starts to damage your own self, your health? Definitely, and yeah. you have absolutely no time to consider yeah. self awareness. And this yeah, is that, we were talking about this yesterday, Mike. This is so, and this is so cultish because in the cult, one of the main things that all good cults do is they get the cultures so busy, you know, meeting on Monday, Wednesday, you know, and if you're really committed and you're in the inner sanctum, you're in there, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And if, and if you miss one day, you're going to hell. (laughs) So you know what? That's a big part of controlling people, you know? Right. Is to like constantly keep your foot. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as, as an educator, I always try to like um, summarize all the salient points that we've discussed. Um, and so in talking about the value system, I think we've identified at least three or four, but one of them is like perception based on um, the difficulty to acquire. So like that blocksmith par- paradox, that was one. Um, definitely pricing, right? If, if people could be um, uh, as adherent, if, if we charged $1,000 per exercise, people would be a whole lot more adherent with their exercise program than if it were as it is now, readily available. And then we spoke about what was um, the appeal to authority. And so like when Dr. Oz says something, it has a lot of value because it's coming from this celebrity healthcare authority. Um, anyway, but I just wanted to summarize because I see some people on my thing that just got on it. So I just wanted to summarize. Oh, to let them know what was going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and then what you just said just now, and then what we spoke, spoke about, like dataism, how like these computers are so super smart that it's kind of taking away our free will and it's, using algorithms to dictate our what our value systems are. It's so, like your feed is constantly showing, you know, get this X pill. This X pill is going to be your next you, thing. For some reason, you you know, every everything we've talked about today uh, has popped an idea up in my head. Because, you know, then I'm thinking while you're, we're all talking, I'm like, man, well, what can we do about this, right? Because that's always, you know. Self-awareness. That's what I was going to ask. Self-awareness, but, but. How do we bring the self-awareness? And you know what it's touched, it's kind of feels like to me? Because everything is for profit, for profit driven. It's all monetized from our social media to our healthcare system, everything to keep us busy, to keep us locked in, to influence us to buy things, basically. Consumer so yes. how do you combat that? And it's just a thought that just popped in my head. How imagine if there was nonprofit, right? Combat, which is a, a company who's posting up videos on self-awareness, talking to people and educating them on how the, they're being targeted, on how, you know, just conversations. Because the thing is, these con- this conversation we're having right now, 
it's insanely rare. It's 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 unpopular. It's insanely rare. It, it's not going to go viral. You know, it, it it's it, yet it's the most important thing. You know, sometimes the most poignant thing you you can you can post. It's it's not going to get any response because it's it's just too real. It's too true, and people are too distant from it. So I'm, what I'm just saying is like, well, well, what if there was sort of a nonprofit who's who's slowly peeling back the onion for people, you know. I, I think this brings me back to the story that you wanted to share, that you wanted me to share. But I think one of the things, I dig you peep so much. Oh, that's dope. <laughs> I think one of the things that we have to do is we have to be a maverick. We have to be on this bleeding edge sometimes, which is very uncomfortable of where the... Where, where the evidence is directing us, right? So, and again, I'm gonna go back to healthcare. You know, we have all these bells and whistles, these shiny modalities and interventions that allure people, but you have to challenge that. Is, is there really value in those things? Or is there more value in the things that, while that it still needs guidance, aren't as um, appealing, like exercise, right? We, and it's a huge thing. Um, and so you have to kind of be like a maverick. And in my field, and it, it astounds me, um, there are a lot of healthcare authorities, a lot of my cohort, unfortunately, they don't, from what I see, from conversations, from looking at social media um, and, and, and to some extent looking at the research that is available, there's a lot of value placed on things that the, the good data simply doesn't support. Um, and why is that? Anyway, the, but my, my point is, is that we, we need to almost be mavericks. We need to go against the grain and we constantly have to challenge the, the modus operandi, the status quo, in order that we could maintain this high level of self-awareness. Because it's very easy to conform with what you're being told, and then it, it unknowingly will influence our value system. Like, for example, uh, um, everybody loves that machine gun, the hypervolt, right, the NBA. I'm not, I don't want to I don't want to make less of it. I think it has some value, but they think that it's a panacea, that if your back hurts, if you get this $200 hypervolt, that that's the answer, it's all. And really, I, I think it's an adjunct, right? I think it, it helps to perhaps open up a window of opportunity to do something else. And that something else, guess what, is exercise. And exercise overwhelmingly shows to be the most beneficial short-term and even long-term. I don't want to completely eliminate passive modalities like the machine or taping or stretching or manual therapy or massage. I think those things have their place, I, but I think what they do is they allow for um, a greater, like a synergistic effect uh, of what exercise does. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole different conversation. But you know the, the, the point is that we have to be mavericks, all of us, yes. each of us as individuals. And you know what's fascinating, though, because it, sorry, Derek, it's going to be really good. Uh, it's fascinating to me because, 
you come you come at it from a healthcare perspective, you know, from a physician, doctor, and then you're saying basically you've got to dig in. You got to exercise, you got to go into yourself, into your, you know, who your your muscle, your own muscles. Exercise them. You know, you you're you're telling people to do that. And it's fascinating to me because it's it's the same thing I found on my spiritual journey. The answers are deep in. You know, the more you understand your internal self, your thoughts, the more you understand everything around you. And I feel like a lot of what you're talking about is, you know, you're, you're saying, you know, this, this is good. This is okay. But you got to really dig in, you know, exercise, get into your own health, take care, do the, do the little things, sleep. And it, you know, we kind of touched on this earlier, but I just wanted to, to say that again. And even, even Ivan's story that he's withholding. I haven't shared the story though. I know. And I'd love, listen, I'll stay, I'll stay on here all day if you share the story because I feel it's so valuable because all right, all right. especially I'll if you've got your, your people watching you that I'll share the story. I'll share please story. share it because it's very similar to mine in the, in the cult and in the system. So it's very powerful. Oh boy. Hold on. I'm giving you the big screen for this. Oh. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. I, I, um, I'm, I'm trying to draw a parallel. All right. I'll just say the story and then Afterwards, we could extract the parallels in terms of the story and what we're talking about today and how they link together. But so I, w I was an adjunct faculty member at a local medical school for 14 years. And um, at the 14 year mark, um, there was a change in. Um, um, in the way in which the class was going to be taught, one of the professors left because I co-taught. Um, and I was asked if I wanted to be the primary uh, professor for this one course. And I, I decided not to because I had a lot going on professionally with my, uh, my office. And I just didn't want to take that responsibility. Um, but... Um, in, in that critical junction where there was going to be a change in direction with the curriculum, um, I spoke with the prospective um, professor of the course, and we spoke at length, and we decided that what was in the curriculum was, slight, was outdated, um, wasn't congruent with the prevailing research um, and so we should probably modernize the curriculum. So the semester started, um, second, third week into the semester, there was really no change whatsoever. In fact, it was more of the old stuff than ever before. And one of the things that made the course great and based on feedback is that they love at least my anecdotal input. So, you know, clinically, so basically sharing my experience clinically, um, they would love that. Um, and so third, fourth week into the semester, here I am, as I always do for the past 14 years, sharing my clinical gem. Um, and there was a point in which I was chastised for sharing that. And I was dumbfounded. I'm like, why, if we're covering the material that, while I don't agree with, why am I being chastised for sharing information that's not really my opinion? This is not my opinion. This is evidence. This is 
No different than me telling both of you, hey, look, the earth is round. Look, look, look at the satellites. Look at the pictures that they're showing. So this is what I'm doing. I'm saying, hey, guys, over the past 10 to 15 years, this is the evidence. You know, what we thought manual therapy did do, while it may still work, it doesn't work in the manner in which we once thought and continue to purport the way it does. We're not stretching adhesions. We're not necessarily increasing blood flow. But you know what we are doing? We're improving patient-practitioner alliance. We're bolstering that alliance. We're perhaps stimulating oxytocin and, and as a result, um, increasing connectivity. Um, and when you do that, when you have, when these soft skills are there, when you start connecting on a human level, the adherence to active-based programs like exercise improves. So there's tremendous value in creating alliance. And this is what I, I was trying to say. I'm like, it's not that these manual therapies don't work or these passive modalities don't work. It's just they don't work in the manner in which we always learn. And it goes back to what we were saying a couple of weeks ago is it's dogma. At what point do we allow critical inquiry to outweigh dogma? And in many professions, we have been like, especially in rehabilitation, I feel for many generations, we have been indoctrinated. So information is passed from one generation to the next without any due diligence or self or critical inquiry. And what I said is let's use critical inquiry because how hypocritical would it be if we're um, posturing ourselves to be evidence-based academic to be an evidence-based academic institution, but we're not using the evidence. So I simply provided that evidence. Anyway, it got to the point where things didn't materialize in the way that I would thought, I was chastised. I didn't do it for the money. I, do, I did it because I enjoyed teaching and I wanted to positively influence a generation of healthcare professionals. Long story short, I decided to leave. Um, and I left. I left abruptly because I, I thought it was a very poor decision, the way in which they handled things. And it was contradictory to the, to the way an academic institution should posture themselves as being an evidence-based uh, institution. So that, that's basically the story, man. And, and it just goes to show that this is, and we were talking about this weeks ago, we have to challenge our beliefs. And when there's sufficient evidence, we're we're not we're doing ourselves a disservice when we don't challenge our belief systems or the dogma that's become part of the modus operandi or the status quo of a particular field or profession. Yeah, and and um, one of the things that I felt was so powerful about that story, you know, is that, you know, when you stand up against a system and you want to do the right thing, if the right thing that you want to do, even in a healthcare, wherever you are, in a religion, whatever, if the right thing, which, which is factual, which is going to help people more, goes against the financially established and already understood methods, you know, if, if, if what I'm telling you is true, 
but it's going to decrease the bottom line, then I'm not going to maybe go along with it if I'm the system because I've already marketed products. I've already that took years to happen and, you know, and I'm already in this, this chain of events. And I think that's why, you know, uh, you know, something that comes to mind that I always repeat, you know, something Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. You know, you have to love the world, but not be of the world, you know, so you in it, but not of it. And I think that that is what in with these conversations, that's what we're trying to do where we're in it, but we're not of it. And we can have right here. We have the Liberty to discuss something like this. We're not going to be chastised. You can say what you just said. I can say what I say, and and Derek can say what he he says. And I think that we need more forums like this where we can be outside of the system, people who are in it, and just be honest, you know, and give people that those those testimonies. And you know, when you shared that with me, it was powerful because I see all the things that you post, and I was wondering, man, he's so like adamant, he's so like going hard, and it reminded me when I left when I left the cult, you know, I would say. I would be adamant about posting stuff about, you know, that is more grace filled, not so dogmatic, you know, things that would, I would be like wanting to let people know, man, you know, this is really what Jesus is about. Not not that not that craziness. You know, this is who he really is. And, and, and I feel like in a sense, our stories parallel in a way, because I know how that feels, you know, to be like, man, this is wrong. This is not how it is and be a genuine follower. In my opinion, if we peel back some layers. Yeah. I think we could identify that greed is one of the driving forces. Capitalism, absolutely, but also control. In, the cult too. in your case, control over mm -hmm. masses. But control. So, to so greed and control over masses. Is yeah. there an economic reason for control sure. over masses? Absolutely. So then, I so then I think the underlying common denominator is greed. Very interesting. And and Mammon is basically a monetary system. That's what it's defined. Derek, please jump in. I'm. Sorry. I know you had so much to say. <laughs> oh, you're fine. You're, you guys are fine. Um, you know, I think Ivan's exactly right. That one of the themes of our show is self awareness. And something that John Whitfield had mentioned to me a couple weeks ago was, I feel like you guys talk about balance a lot. And. Um, one of the things that I think can be dangerous about like science and not necessarily science, not the scientific method, but let's say like the science industry is that people are so intimidated by it and they do kind of in some ways treat it like dogma. So, you know, my doctor gave me these Oxycontin pills. I don't know. He's a doctor. So I, I just go for it. And science can be very like intimidating and people think, well, I don't know. These guys figure it. What do I know? I, I don't know anything. And there needs to maybe be a better balance between, yes, challenging your own beliefs, but also sometimes like listening to yourself. Um, and yeah, having self-awareness and, and, and like trusting yourself. Now, obviously, when you trust yourself or your intuitive heart or whatever all the time and you never allow yourself to be challenged, well, that's a dangerous place to be in as well. But the balance of... Yes, listen to experts and, and crowdsource whatever you, whomever you'd like to ask. But also know, too, that, like, Ivan, the stand that you took, well, the science industry was saying, you're wrong. But you knew, based on your own experience, this isn't right. And credit to you for uh, trusting yourself enough to be like, yeah, yeah I'm out of here. This is, this is not right. Mike, same with you, man. You're in this system where all the answers are made for you. 
But you had the courage to say, you know what, I'm listening to myself, and I don't know that this is right. Um, <clears throat> which again, you know, when we're so caught up in everything, it's difficult to ha have that balance. Um, and again, I'm not denigrating the, like, the scientific method at all. Um, but the science industry is not dissimilar in some ways from the religious industry versus the governmental industry in that all the answers are laid out for you. And don't think about anything ever, okay? Because we already thought about it, so don't even worry about it. That can be dangerous too. Yeah, any, anybody who wants you to blindly trust them. <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting because when I'm listening to you, Derek, I forget the name of the paradox, but it's essentially in any field or discipline, the more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. So when I, so when I got my bachelor's degree or when I finished high school, I thought I knew it all. And then when I finished my undergrad degree, I said, you know what? I don't think I know as much as I thought I did. And then when I got my doctorate, I'm like, shit, I don't know anything. So the more you learn and the more you apply critical inquiry and you know, uh, move with the narrative that we need to be scholastically plastic, the more we realize how much, how little we actually know. And I think that's important. Yeah, we got a giant comment here. So I just want to read it real quick. Morning, fellas. Second that motion, Gomez, bottom line and ego are unfortunately two things that even academics get tied up in. Sometimes a lifetime of research on a topic solidifies someone's value in the field and challenging that idea puts them at risk of making their work invaluable, despite the advancement and knowledge of knowledge it can bring. That is so powerful. Uh, I don't know whoever that is, but that is powerful because what happens, and this is what happens with dogma, is that we allow emotion to intertwine with objectivity and rationale. We, we become so emotionally attached to a particular intervention that we stop looking at the evidence, although the evidence is right there. We, we're not, we ignore the elephant in the room and because the elephant in the room contradicts our emotional ties to a particular yeah. modality. Or I, I love that you, you, you connected the emotional part of it. There's a very big emotional tie to being loyal to the system, to being, you know, not not to question it, to to let your to let everyone know you're a part of the gang. You know, I'm not you know, I'm not questioning. I, I know whatever you say, you know, I'm a part of the gang. You know, I'm loyal. But, you know, it's if you know how we were talking about, I, I think, four weeks ago. Is this the second or third time? I don't know. I, I'm always doing the commentary. So I feel like yep. I'm part of the show. We've got to ban you, man. <laughs> I know. I know. You too. But um, it, it goes back to like what has allowed humans to prevail and be at the top of the food chain. And a lot of it is because we are very social beings and we are very tribal uh, as, as a result. But and if you're constantly being a maverick, it's it, it's, it's interesting. Does that work against you fitting into that tribe? And so in a primal way, it's a little contradictory uh, and not as self-serving because here I was part of a tribe, an academic tribe, but I was being a maverick. And 
I'm not going to say it worked against me, but it led me to where I am now, no longer part of that institution, just like you. So I think we're prim primarily driven to be part of groups. Um, and think about it. We always want to be a part of a group. You know, think about kids that are underprivileged uh, and disenfranchised. They want to be part of a group. And if they don't find it through family, they find it through gangs. And, and as adults, where do we find groups? Through religion, uh, through our political ideologies, through our sports teams that we follow. Oh, we're a Yankee fan. F the Boston Red Sox. We're always, but if we start challenging our own tribes by being mavericks, it goes against being part of something. And I think that's what makes challenging and critical inquiry difficult because sometimes you got to go against the people that you're a part of. Yeah. And you can be uh, very connected to them too. Mm. Mm. What's up, Derek? I know I, I hate, sometimes <laughs> I feel like we sidelined you, man. Not at all, man. Are you kidding? I know we talked this week and you had some, a lot of jewels, man. So, um, well, hey, I'm happy to listen to you guys. Yeah, I know. Right. That's the thing is, as, as with so many content content episodes, we've just opened more questions. <laughs> the yeah. more we know, the less we know. Um, and I suppose, yeah, hey, we're not going to be able to solve it just now, but I do think this has been a good discussion. And truly, I've not, I've not mind, I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, listening to you guys on this. Um, and yeah, I got, I got in there a little bit too. And, uh, yeah, that's my friend Yav Nikolai there. Who uh, he's a psychiatric nurse. Oh, so he's a, ah, okay. uh, um, in the medical field as well. I could tell. He's yeah, very sharp comment. And gosh, yeah, I mean that's a whole other thing. We could do another hour on this. Just the emotional component of yeah, that's, that's tied hard. in with all with all all of this really. Is, uh, and like part, ego too, you know, like so, oh, the ego. you know, what if what if your professor is a guy you really respect? And so, and you learn f so much from that person previously. Oh, and yeah. then they start to spout some things that maybe aren't so true or maybe you don't agree with, but you have that emotional well, attachment. Well, when doing your own research, you realize that, they that, were saying, eh. Yeah. Like, you know what I tell myself? I wrote this recently to all my previous students, five years and beyond disregard anything I taught you. I've had several <laughs> software updates since. And that is well, a, I'm uh, open about it. If I'm teaching That's beautiful though. That's we how need you should be. Exactly. need more of that. I'm always open about that. Mm -hmm. it. It's a humble test. Yeah. Because we see, I think that, that, and this is why I feel like re-educate, reframe, for, we have to start over, in my opinion. You know, I, made, I wrote a post recently. We got to start over because we're we're trapped in, in this whole way of looking at things, this old, this old value system, this old everything. It, it's, we've got to get out of it. We've got to get more open. We've got to realize that we're constantly changing and it's normal. It's okay. The loyalty, the, the, the interesting thing about being loyal and, and being tribal is that also unconsciously means you're not going to change. Because the tribe has a set of beliefs, a set of rules, a set of how we do things. This is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to walk 10 steps over here every day. Oh, no, I want to walk 12. No, we're walking 10. And that means you're not going to grow. You're, you're, as soon as you really completely blindly accept any tribe's information, how they do things, you're done. You stop living, in my opinion. You're not going to live. You're not going to grow because a big part of it is, is living, growing. I'm going to play devil's advocate, Mike. Uh huh. Oh, I know where you're going. I, that makes perfect sense. But 
you know, if we had no conformity, hey, Wayne. How, how would we have? Um, I know. I think about society. No, no, no. I'm saying. I know. I know, I know because we do need some conformity, or we'll be all over the place. You know, know. You know the old adage: uh, the dose makes the poison. Yeah. So the dope makes a poison with conformity as well. Like, yes, we need to challenge things, yeah. but do we challenge? Should I start challenging red lights? And like, that's, just, yeah, exactly. You know what? Red light. I should balance. Not a red light. I'm just gonna go. I've challenged a few red well, lights. You're sounding like my teenage son now. You know, when you said that, because that's his thing. You know, he's he's 12. He's at that age. Everything is. Yeah, but the. You know, we were talking about just wearing his bicycle helmet. You know, he said, yeah, but the police, you know, I had to show him the law if you're under 14 because he rides his bike by himself now and goes to his friend's house and stuff. And, and, and I'm like, but the law says it. He says, yeah, but I drive by the police all the time without my helmet. And I say hello to them over there because there's a precinct right by us. And they never said anything to me. So it's this constant, like, challenge, right? So, but I think that, like uh, you said before, balance. So we do have to be, like you said, yeah, you can't start going crazy and just challenging for challenging. We do need order. We do need, we do need something. Part two, man. I'm thinking Freud right now. The id, ego, and super ego. There yeah. has to be a part hey. two to this, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Let's let it marinate a bit, though, I'd say, because we're gonna, we have a lot to think about. Let's let it marinate a bit, and, and I'm sure. Yeah. And it seem, seems like uh, we had a good amount of people commenting, and, and, and uh, it was a great conversation. It really was. And uh, thank you both. Derek, do you have any closing? Um, I have so much to say. So let's just leave it for part two. Hey, tune in for part two. Um, we'll, uh, we'll get into Freud. We'll get into the emotional content, the balance, the self-awareness, the challenging, the getting stuck in the mud, the getting out of the mud, God. the snot getting stuck There's playing so in the mud. Holes. We didn't even Rabbit holes. Pricing. Rabbit holes. Capitalism. Material what material is, where that comes from. Remember when we were uh -huh. talking about that? That's right. Uh, that, oh, yeah. that, by the way, that. listen, the book that Derek got me, thank you, it's called The Book by Alan Watts. Probably, it's going to be in my top five easy that I've ever come You know, Mike, maybe, I meant to tell Maybe you number that. one. I didn't finish it yet, but I'm thinking number one. Go ahead. Sorry. Derek, you were about to say something? Um, I meant to tell you that my friend Nikolai there, uh, he started reading the book because of listening to that. And he gave it to a friend of his who's now reading it also. So uh, the that's, word of Watts. Is let me spread. tell you, that's a book. You know, I'm going to throw you something that he, he quoted a biology. Um, just, just to throw this out there, he quoted something from a biology, I think, uh, scholar who wrote a book about how he sees things. And he's in it, in it, this, this, this scientist, he said, um, the present is the only thing that is infinite. Mm. And that for me, I mean, that might be basic to somebody, but for me, I was walking, I was, I was reading that in the forest and man, that blew my mind. That's, uh, the present is the only thing that is infinite. I, you texted me when you read that, Mike, and it made me laugh so much because then you said, where am I? Where am I? <laughs> That just that's a perspective shifter. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> that is I you know, I I, I sh we spoke about this offline last week. And I thought it was interesting because that is the very premise 
behind them. Why don't zebras get ulcers? By Dr. Polotsky. Robert Polotsky. Did you ever read that or heard about No, so, I, you told me about this one. It's so interesting. So humans, right? Again, we have this ability to... Sorry. Um, I'm not going to comment, not you. We have the ability, right, to think about the future and think about and think and perseverate about the past and ruminate about what may be, and we escape the now. But that has allowed us to be at the top of the food chain. But it is that very innate ability that we have to our prefrontal cortex that is now leading to our detriment, which is mental health disease, because we, we're always escaping the now. Yeah. We're always in the future and the past. Um, and when you look at worldwide disability, mental health is like top five because we're never in the now. We're always somewhere else. Anyway, I, I think that's great food for Jordan. And just so you know, Derek, this is what happens when you get two Puerto Ricans <laughs> closing a show. This is how we say goodbye. Just FYI. <laughs> just so you know, this is why I've run the, the, the ending song three or four times because this is what happens. <laughs> Bendición, bye, blah, blah, blah. Oh, oh, pero tú sabías que. Oh, no me diga. It takes us how long, Ivan? Close to say goodbye to somebody? Okay, Maybe another no. hour? Another hour y otro café. <laughs> right? All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. It's been great, man. This is a great episode. Just All right, guys. What episode is this, Derek? I want to say 29, maybe. 30. We yeah. got to do something. Yeah. Coming next week. Something for the 30, 30. Yeah. All right, y'all.